so we're in a series at the moment on Daniel, and we've, been, we've begun with chapter one uh, several weeks ago, and today we are up to chapter, who knows, four, that's right, very good, chapter four. Chapter four is an interesting chapter. It's not a lot around Daniel. There's a little bit, but it's more focusing on King Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, it's like he's an autobiography of him. And uh, so it'll, it'll be interesting for us to look at it. But today I want you all to imagine that this room is a classroom, all right? When I was little, I used to love playing schools. And... Um, probably inevitable then that I became a teacher. But today I want you to imagine that this room is a classroom. And God has you here in this classroom because he wants you to learn an important lesson. He wants you to learn a lesson today. And it's one that he would prefer to teach you in the classroom than rather for you to learn by experience. So if we learn it in the classroom, let me tell you, it's going to be easier for us than if we learn it by experience. Some things are good to learn by experience, but perhaps not this lesson. So, you all ready? Just going to pray again and just ask God to really um, speak to us this morning, each individual as he wants us to hear from him. Dear God, our Father, we thank you for your word. It's alive. And uh, this morning, God, you're going to speak to us through your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will be on every word that is spoken, that it will be anointed by you to teach us what you want us to learn. I pray that you'll help every one of us, Lord, to have listening ears and open hearts to, to learn this lesson off the page so that we can go into this world and live out the truth that we learn. Help us each to... Uh, be guided by you, Lord, to listen to you, not to be listening to anything I say, God, but just you, Holy Spirit, speak and teach. I pray in your precious name. Amen. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. It's a fairly long chapter and we're going to read quite a bit of it, although I will be skipping through different verses, so I'll tell you when I skip to the next part. So Daniel chapter 4, we're going to commence at verse 4. All right, so if you have your Bibles, or I think it will be on the screen. Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Now down to verse 9. I said, Belteshazzar, that's Daniel's name, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it to me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit 
Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from under its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messages. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is on you. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Down to verse 22. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Verse 24. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. When you acknowledge that heaven rules. That doesn't mean just know about it. It actually means that deep in your heart, deep down here, you know. You know that heaven rules. Verse 27. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built? As the royal residence, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. And every part of that prophecy came true. And that's why when God gives us a warning... We actually want to heed it. We want to learn this lesson that when God warns, let's take note of it because God keeps his word. And so we need to be taking note of what God says to us and responding to that rather than suffering the consequences or the outcome. And if I wanted to summarize today in one sentence, I'd say, be careful not to set yourself up for a fall. 
Be careful not to set yourself up for a fall. And in this account, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar did just that. God warned him. He told him, do this and this won't happen to you. But he didn't pay any attention. He just saw how great he was. He just looked and saw that what he had done was incredible. And he, all he could focus on was himself and how great he was. As a result, he had a major fall. And you know, God is with us all the time. As Peter said this morning, don't be afraid for the Lord is with you. And as he walks with us in life, he warns us in advance. He gives us warning. But let me tell you, if we don't listen to what his warning is, and if we don't act on it, we will learn by experience, first-hand experience, what it means to ignore God's warning in our lives. Now, history tells us that Babylon was probably one of the most spectacular cities you have ever seen. It is said to probably be the most spectacular city in the entire world. Nothing compared to it. It was an amazing city, breathtaking. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, Is not this the great city I have built? So by saying this and thinking this, he's putting himself in a very dangerous situation because actually what he has done is that he has stopped ruling Babylon and now Babylon is ruling him. And this is what happens when we become prideful or when we think it's all about us or when we decide to live life without thinking that we need God's help. When we think we can get up of a morning and go off to work or go off to what we have to do without seeking God to help us or to strengthen us or to protect us. When we think we can just live every day without God, we don't need to pay any attention to him, we don't need to listen to him, then what happens is that no longer are we with God in control of what we are doing, but our culture is controlling us. And so Babylon is symbolic It's representative of a mentality, a philosophy. It's not a place for us, but we are surrounded by it. It's not our nation, it's our culture. We are surrounded by Babylonian culture. It's a worldly culture. It's a culture that is self-absorbed. It's a culture where it's all about me, I How often do we hear I this and I that in our culture? I think it has increased and increased more and more every day that that everything is very, very I-centered in our world. And so I think the Babylonian mindset, the Babylonian culture is very strong. And, And we are in the midst of it. God has put us here. God has determined you would be here for such a time as this. And we're in the very middle of it. He's put us here to minister in this time, not to be corrupted by it. So we need to be counter-cultural. We need to make sure that, as Adam said last week, that we stand and don't bow down to the culture. And we don't allow it to control us. And so I believe through Nebuchadnezzar's story that God is waving a red flag in front of us and warning us. And we need to pay attention to this. 
so that we are not corrupted by the culture in which we live. Look at verse 27. He said, Renounce your sins and wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It's interesting. That's what he said to Nebuchadnezzar. As he was warning him, he said, What you need to do is you renounce your sin and your wickedness. In other words, your self-centeredness and all that revolves around you. And be kind to the oppressed. The King James translates the Hebrew as by showing mercy to the poor. And I think that one of the red flags here is that we should not lose touch with the poor. King Nebuchadnezzar was at home in his palace. What did verse 4 say? He was at home contented and prosperous. He had totally detached himself from the oppressed and the poor. Things were going great for him. Look at his city. It was the it was the envy of the world. It was the best city. It was his city. He had built it. And he was completely content within it. And I think it's a warning sign to us also. As I read this, I thought we have to be careful. We live in a prosperous nation. We are prosperous. You know, if we have an education, we are wealthy. Because so many people in the world cannot even read. They cannot even have an education. They can't go to school. Kids can't go to school because there's no money or wherewithal to be able to educate them. So if we have an education, if we can read, we are prosperous. If we have shelter over our heads, we are prosperous. If we can have a meal a day, let alone three, we are prosperous. If we drive a car, then we are in the top Wealth of this world. Now you might sit there thinking, no, that's not me, I'm not that well off. But I'm just talking to you relatively here, speaking about the world and comparing us to the rest of the world. We are wealthy people and the danger is that we can just settle back comfortably into our culture and just sort of forget about everything else. And we get to the point where we can be unmoved by the needs of the poor. And if that's where we are, if we just get on with our life and it never crosses our mind or maybe occasionally something might come up, oh yeah, I better do that. But it's not actually something that we are concerned about the needs of others. Then we, it's a red flag to us this morning. We need to be careful. We need to, this is God is saying, be careful about this because you're becoming contented in your prosperity. And we are called to be different to that because that's what the culture is. People just are content within what they've got and they want more and more and more. But God's saying, no, you're different to that. You need to be countercultural. In fact, you know, that translation of the, of the Hebrew is, uh, for show mercy is C-H-A-N-A-N. I don't know how you pronounce that. Maybe Chanan. But C-H-A-N-A-N. And that means, when it's translated, it means to be favorable, to be gracious, to be kind, to make lovely, it also means to complain. We should complain about the poor. That means, I think, that we have to stand up for them and have a voice for them. I think it means that when we see people who are oppressed, we actually need to make public complaint about it and not just sit back and think, poor them. 
Because it actually doesn't say feel for the poor. It actually says show mercy. That's actually an action. We have to take action, which means we have to give and love and serve and pray for these people. It's not just a matter. Otherwise, you know, we're going to implode in our self-absorbed culture. You know, if we're going to be countercultural, we have to be deliberate about it. Being countercultural means making a decision to stand in our culture and not bow down to it. We have to be careful that we don't settle into the entitlements of privilege. That challenges me, we, that we just don't settle into the entitlements of privilege so that we don't become consumed by this Babylonian mentality. So that, because I believe otherwise it just overtakes us, it's easy. It's easy to settle back and let it overtake us. But God actually calls us to be salt and light. That's what he's called us to be. He says you are to be salt. You are to bring flavor into this world that is lacking it because it's so self-absorbed. You are to bring light into a dark place because darkness absolutely pushes out any sort of presence of God. It pushes out that and it says it's all about me. And God says you're to bring light into that situation. You need to be countercultural. And so... God is teaching us this. And you know, the interesting thing is that it's not just for our sake. Sorry, it's not just for their sake. It's for our sake too. I'd like you to listen to Isaiah 58, 10 and 11. It says, feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Now, what will happen when we do that? Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. When we show mercy to the poor, when we take action in this way, then the light will shine. That's what it says. It'll make it like the bright noonday sun. But listen what else it does for you when you do this. God is such a generous God. He just doesn't call us to do it because he's saying, this is what I want you to do and and the light will shine, darkness will be pushed out. Then he says for you, he says, the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. What a promise from God that when we respond to, to what he's calling us to do, he's actually saying then you're going to have an incredible blessing over your life and you're going to have strength restored and you're going to, ha- you're going to have those dry places watered so that you're going to flourish. Don't we want that? We want that and so let's respond to what God's saying to us. So how far will God go to get his message across to us? How far will he go? I don't think that answer is is hard to find. I think that he'll do whatever it takes to get our attention, to get across his message. But you might say, what if I don't want to hear it? What if I just want to block it out? If we choose not to listen to God, then I think that he simply turns up the volume until we pay attention. And it's up to us how much that's going to take before we give our attention to God. And you know, even although the world has changed greatly since Daniel's day, 
I don't think the human heart has changed at all. The world is still filled with men and women who are proud and think they don't need God. Would you agree? People live without God and they don't think that they need him. And I think God still knows how to humble the proud. I think if we get nothing else out of this story that we need to know that God will humble the proud. So, Let's review this lesson. Four things in reviewing the lesson this morning. The first thing is, God is righteous, which causes him to intervene when we believe we don't need him anymore. He will step in. Whenever we think we can live without God, he reaches down from heaven and shakes our tree so that we don't place confidence in those things anymore. You know, because God is entirely righteous, he can't stand by idly and just leave you to yourself. He loves you too much for that. He doesn't want to see you just go down to the point of total destruction. And so he's going to shake your tree. He's going to do something to try and get your attention so that you're not placing your confidence in the world but in him. And you might say, well, how does this intervention come? I think we look at the king's dream and see what he does. Whenever we think that we can live without God, he reaches down from heaven and begins to disturb things in our world until we recognize that we need him. Think about your own life. How might God shake your tree? It might be through broken relationships, maybe financial difficulty, could be through Sickness could be through a whole range of things and these situations are in our lives and in it sometimes God uses these to shake us and to try and get our, you know, to get, for us to get his attention. And you know, whenever we begin to think that we've got it made, God reaches down and starts to try to get our attention and he's saying to us, come on, He'll start off gently. He'll give warnings to us. He's saying, I'm trying to get your attention. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Now, sometimes the second thing is that God's intervention is painful. It was painful for Nebuchadnezzar. It was humiliating. It was totally destructive for him. And that's because he's cutting away the sin that pulls us away from him. Now, you know that if you've ever been to the doctors and you've had to have something cut out, that it's painful, it hurts. I remember a few, um, probably six months ago, I had this cyst that was just really painful, right on the edge of my nail. It was so painful and it was causing me trouble and I went to the doctors. He eventually said, I have to, you'll have to go to a specialist. I went to the specialist and he sort of said, oh, I don't really know what I can do, but I'll do this. And he got out this punch and he said, now this might hurt a bit, (laughs) I can tell you. And he like punched it right in the middle. Well, my goodness. And he did it, then he said, I've got to do it again. And he did it three times. You can imagine I'm sitting there like the pain, I'm pressing my finger against the table so that I wouldn't scream. But you know, I was just the other day I was noticing, it's, it's healed, it's gone. The nail's being restored and I, like, 
that physical pain brought healing. And I believe it's the same when God works in our lives. He doesn't want to hurt us. He doesn't want to bring us pain. The doctor didn't want to hurt me. He wasn't just thinking, great, let's hurt Pam today. He thought, well, this is, all I can, this is probably what we need to do to try and see if we can resolve it. And God, when he works in our lives in a disciplinary way, he's not wanting to hurt us. He's wanting to heal us. He's wanting to do something that will take away all of that and restore us. That's why he's working. Because he knows that this stuff is pulling us away from him. And he doesn't want that. And he knows if it goes on for too long, we will get drawn away further and further till it'll be very hard for us to be able to hear him no matter how much he turns up the volume, no matter how much he shakes our tree. And in Nebuchadnezzar's case, he had everything taken away from him for seven periods of time. They think that's probably seven years. And he was out in the wilderness like an animal, living that way. But it was interesting, if you look in the, in the passage, it says that God cut down the tree, but he left a stump. And he actually bound it with bronze and iron. And he said he bound it because he wanted it to be protected, because he knew that there was the chance that it could grow again. The third thing that we need to remember is that God's intervention continues until we learn the lessons he wants to teach us. Maybe right now you feel like God is shaking your tree and you're saying, Pam, when is it going to stop? The only possible answer is, I don't know. God alone knows the beginning from the end. But I know this. God will not shake your tree one second longer than necessary because he loves you. And he will never stop one second before his divine purposes are fulfilled. God is patient with us, but his patience sets limits. He knows where and when to draw the line. And it won't always be when we think it should be. God doesn't have a boundaries problem. He knows where to draw the line and he knows when. And for King Nebuchadnezzar, he drew the line and said, you're not going to go any further than that. Look at verses 31 to 33. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign. Until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. God drew a line in the sand. He said, you're not going to go any further than that. That's it. And the prophecy was fulfilled. But his patience is geared towards our repentance. His patience sets limits because he, and it doesn't run out because God is God. He, he can be as patient as he wants to be for as long as he wants to be. But he makes a decision that he's not going to apply it to this situation anymore. There's the line in the sand, that's where it stops. 
And he is a God who means what he says. And so, that's why he left the stump. Because also, as his patience sets limits, so does his discipline. He's saying, all right, I'll take it this far. I'll chop it down to this, right down to the stump, and hopefully you will respond so that it can grow again. And he bound it with bronze and iron because he wanted to protect that stump. He didn't want to see it destroyed. He He had that hope that there would be life in that stump and it would grow again. And sometimes he cuts us down to a stump, but he will chain it with bronze and iron. Nothing will go further than what God says and it will grow back and it will produce healthy branches and good fruit. This means that during these times, even although we may feel it's hard, we are being protected by God because he loves us even during those difficult times. So if you find yourself in a hard and uncertain place or you do in the future, just look to God and he's going to outwork his purposes. He is faithful. He will protect you through it until he brings you to that place where you will flourish once again. And the final point is that God's purpose in humbling us is not to destroy us, but to draw us back into close relationship with him. Look at verses 34. This is now to the end of the chapter. At the end of that time, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honour and splendour were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble that a great ending that's that's the ending that God had ordained and wanted and through that time when he was apart when he was put into this very difficult circumstance he learnt who God is and he was able to come back and acknowledge God as king of kings and lord of lords So as we think about how we go from this place, I want to read to you from 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. So that we don't get consumed by Babylon, by our culture. The way up is down. The way up is down. Dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time he will lift you up in honour. 
How do you dress yourselves in humility? Intentionally. Today, you got up and you decided, I'm going to put on clothes to go to church. You made a decision, you were intentional about it. You, didn't, you decided, maybe some of you took four times before you got what you were going to wear, but, um, or just the last thing that was on the, on the lounge and just grabbed that, but whatever. You made a decision to dress yourselves to come to church today. You're intentional about it. And we need to be intentional about dressing ourselves, clothing ourselves in humility. So every day we need to clothe ourselves in this way by doing this. Firstly, confess before God who he is. He is God. He is God and there is none beside him. He is great. Honour him for who he is. Recognise it in your life every day. Because without him, where will you be? Secondly, confess that you are his child. That he loves you. And never try to steal his glory. All glory to him. As I said before, the Babylonian mindset is self-absorbed. It's about me and I, and how great I am, and look what I can do. Look what I've achieved. And we have to be careful that we don't let that culture consume us, but that we are counter-cultural. So Babylon is an enticing world. How do we live with integrity in it? On our knees. On our knees. Always giving glory to God, recognizing who He is, making sure He stays in His rightful place, and showing mercy to the poor. That's how we live counterculturally. That's how we make sure that we don't have to learn the lesson the hard way, but we respond to what God is saying. And we say, God, I acknowledge who you are. You are great. I give myself to you. I'll be used by you in whatever way is needed just so I can serve the needs of the poor, the oppressed, those who are in difficult circumstances here and around the world. He's called us. Will you let him work in your heart? This morning, I just believe it's, he just wants to, for us to just say yes to him to acknowledge who he is, to let that fire burn within us, to stir up that passion in us so we don't become complacent, so we don't settle back into our culture and think, this is great, I love this. I love the fact that I can do this, that I can, I've got this. And, you know, but rather we think, I love who you are, God. I love who you are in my life. I love the fact that you can work through me to make a difference to other people's lives and I want to be available for you no matter what. I want to be available for you. Let's stand and let's declare this truth in our hearts this morning. And if you feel that you've been at a place that you want the tree to stop shaking and you want to put your confidence in God again, that you've allowed yourself to get consumed by this culture and you've just settled back into it, into the entitlements of privilege, then please come and say to God, God, no more, no more, it's you, it's all of you. It's all of you, you are great. 
I acknowledge that without you, I am nothing. With you, my goodness, what he can do when you let him have you. You won't believe it. It's beyond what you can ask or imagine. Don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on what God wants to do through you. And look at Nebuchadnezzar. He was one of, recognized as one of the most evil kings in the world. But look at the testimony. Look at the transformation. All because he stepped up and he acknowledged God as King of kings, Lord of lords. Let's do the same this morning as we worship.